Hey Holons, welcome back to episode 5 of Brilliant Perth. This week I chat with Miles Coker, a strategic designer with GHD Digital over in Melbourne. Miles had an incredible impact on me uh, when I was an engineer at GHD last year and was probably the first person to label me as an entrepreneur. A mentor of mine, a brilliant engineer, human-centered designer, innovation facilitator. Miles is a strategic designer with GHD Digital. And Miles has done some fantastic work from Northern Territory, rural Victoria, uh, even South America. And Miles is really passionate about social change and community-led innovation. Hey guys, uh, we're here in Melbourne again at GHD uh, on Lonsdale Street with uh, Miles Coker, strategic designer with GHD Digital. Welcome, Miles. G'day. Yeah, thanks for your time today, Miles. Really keen to have a chat about um, your career, about all things uh, innovation, entrepreneurship, and some of the projects that you've done across Australia and um, sort of the work you're doing this year in Victoria. But before we dive in, I thought um, as we both sort of work in innovation and do some facilitating, we would start with a fun little game. So we're going to play um, Elevator Pitch. Brilliant. So there are your three cards. I've never played, so this is very exciting. So if you want to just read out, um, so I'll, I'll tell you how we play the game, I guess. But um, so you get the black card as a problem card, the white card is your customer, mm-hmm. and then you've got, say, 30 seconds to come up with a solution. So you can think out loud if you want in the nature of, of the podcast, and um, I'll have a crack as well over here. Okay. What do you got? So my problem is that we get really sunburned on holiday. So the problem is getting really badly sunburned on holiday. The customer is bank managers, and so I have to come up with a pitch so we, pro- we solve the problem of getting really badly sunburnt on holiday for bank managers by creating umbrellas of ethical behaviour in line with all the recommendations from the Royal Commission. <laughs> Brilliant. Well played, well played. So my problem is running out of toilet paper and my customer is backpackers, which is pretty timely actually because I've just been staying at a, at a hostel here in Melbourne with a bunch of backpackers but I reckon I'm going to go and partner with like Kathmandu or Mountain Designs who make the backpacks and there's always these like secret compartments with your your rain jacket or whatever so I'm going to sort of design in a, a little bit of reusable toilet paper um, into the backpack yeah so that's my idea nice you've sold me Cool. Fun way to start. Little Absolutely. shout out to Skills of Modern Age. Apologies um, to all bank managers that didn't need to hear my recommendation. <laughs> Very topical talking about the Royal Commission. Yeah, cool. So I'm pretty happy to have like an open chat here today, Miles. I mean, you've got a bit of a few topics that you're interested in, in chatting with us about. Do you, want to, do you want to start by telling us a bit about yourself and, and what you do? Yeah, so most recently I've uh, been working in regional innovation. So I've got a real love for working communities, particularly regional and more remote communities. So uh, more recently, we've been working in northeastern Victoria, helping establish um, a new 
group called Startup Shakeup. Uh, it's led by local government with support from state government, the Launch Vic Startup Initiative. And I guess our role is to help build the pipeline of people who've potentially got new ideas, certainly got a really close um, connection to their communities and can see the problems and particularly niche problems that could have new ideas and, and helping them build business models around what they could see for the future of their for their region. So that's where I've been um, yeah, working over the last uh, couple of Saturdays in, in Mansfield and Wangaratta and we'll be back out in northeastern Victoria over the coming weeks in Benalla and Beechworth as well. Very cool. And what about, um, like, where did you start your career, I guess? Yeah, so I'm technically an engineer, water resource engineer, and I'm really still engaged in river and catchment management. The people side of things always is what um, attracts me to these, these topics. So how communities, how land owners and, and um, land users, uh, how their actions and decisions in planning um, and developing impact the health of waterways and the health of communities. And so that, I guess, field has taken me to work in different communities, both in Australia and overseas. So most interestingly was a stint two years in Peru, working on new ways of investing in catchment management. So recognising that the Andean highlands and the communities there had a role in protecting, um, I guess, water and catchment outcomes. So with their agricultural practices, but also um, formal and informal mining and, um, and, and just kind of urban development, uh, engaging them in catchment protection activities and funding their activities through, um, I guess, large-scale investment at the at the tail end of these catchments, at the where the rivers meet the sea. And so we had, in that instance, we're setting up a private water fund, uh, supported by large water users, agricultural, but also um, fast-moving consumer-type businesses like. Um, breweries and soft drink bottlers and, and the like, those who could see the value in a, a secure water resource for the city, but mobilising their investment into, um, into these higher, more remote communities for you know, recognising that what they do on their land will impact what happens in the, you know, the water that reaches the city. And um, yeah, for, for a city like Lima, which is like 10 million people and booming, presents many, many complex problems, I guess, and social and environmental and economic. So for me, that was, those experiences really shaped a lot of my thinking around ecosystem services and economics and the like, which is what I studied. And um, bring that back more recently, lived and worked in Alice Springs in, in the desert, central desert of Australia. Um, Again, working, I guess you're immersed in culture, which is, um, you know, dates back 
hundreds, thousands of years of knowledge, I guess, of land management and practice um, that has been somewhat disrupted in more recent times by, um, yeah, whether it's agricultural or industry or urban development, but looking to see how you can uh, bring back some of that knowledge into land management and progress with modern science to make it a more sustainable practice. So, And equally, what's interesting about Lima and Alice Springs is they're both desert cities with major water systems that for a large part of the, the time lay without water passing through them. But when it does rain, it pours and you end up with you know, severe flood. Um, so the boom and bust cycle of water management in, in those cities is yeah, that's probably the biggest similarity along with the, the traditional owners as well. Is what's your design storm there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole Alice Springs, a fair chunk of that town is, so there's about 20,000 people or up to 30,000 people living there. A fair chunk of the town lies within the floodplain and in the 100-year kind of design flood, even the hospital's getting, getting a little bit wet. So you, you've, got some, you've got some planning issues there. Let's let's not bore all the listeners with our drainage terminology. <laughs> I had a previous life as a drainage engineer. Um, yeah, really cool. So, tell us a bit about. Let's talk more on that. So you've got this love of community. Let's talk more on maybe focusing on Melbourne and Victoria about some of the opportunities for innovation and community here locally. Yeah, well, it's a big contrast. I mean, working in a regional or remote community. Social connections, connections between people and place are really strong and you can really sense that through living in places where people are looking for opportunities to help and support and connect. Um, If you are new to Alice Springs, people will very much um, be curious and kind and look forward to what for ways to kind of bring you into the community and whether it's through sport or arts or a whole range of different kind of social connectors people are really good and i think there's a cultural element that because you've been received so positively if you meet someone who's relatively new yourself you're more likely to reciprocate and, and pass it on coming back to melbourne each time after these experiences you just don't get that you don't know your neighbors as well people avert eyes they don't even hold, we live in a, um, with my wife and baby, we live in a, um, a precinct, like a, an apartment complex with an internal courtyard. And it is, it's very difficult to connect with people. You almost feel like you, um, you're the one, odd one out for greeting people and trying to, trying to foster a sense of community. So... And we know that about Melbourne. We, we grew up here in, in the suburbs, but it is kind of, the contrast is pretty strong. And so it is harder to crack into the, the ecosystem. So I think in regional Australia, it's great opportunity to leverage those social, that social capital, those networks that exist, that goodwill, um, and to build great, you know, the next wave of business and innovation. Uh, the... I guess working against that is just the density of people and the perception still is that 
the opportunities lie in large economic centres and this is where the talent is gravitating towards and I guess all the large investment and um, opportunities are still in large cities. So we find ourselves here again, but I'm always looking for ways of getting back out regionally and through experience, there are some unfair advantages for regional regional Australia um, that can be tapped into for sure, combined with technology and other things. Very cool, very cool. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about your work um, here and what's happening in northeast Victoria? Yeah, so I mentioned Startup Shakeup, which is a new uh, association or network um, supporting entrepreneurs and startups in across northeastern Victoria. So the regional councils have been the real leaders alongside um, Charles Sturt University and a few other, um, I guess, institutions really keen to foster that that startup culture. Still a very large percentage, over 90% of kind of startups and new business enterprise pops up out of Melbourne and other major centres. So Launch Victoria, the Victorian government strategy is really looking to um, support and foster the same mindsets and skills and opportunities in regional Victoria. Um, and so our role in that is running our Smart Seeds program. Smart Seeds being a program based on the idea, uh, I guess the principles of design thinking, even systems thinking, which I know you're into. Um, and, but empowering local people to connect on local problems and then shape ideas, kind of customer-centric ideas uh, that could have local applications, regional applications, national, global, building sustainable business models around them. Um, we're in the process now of where we've got our first prototypes coming out of Mansfield and Wangaratta. And the next step is to really see, well, what, what other methodologies can we draw on? What experiences we can we put together for these teams to help them fast track their ideas, iterate and develop more quickly to get to market and see if they can actually you know, have, have impact through their, through their solution. So whether the, the people who, I guess the idea generators are, um, are part of the whole process from problem through to idea, through to prototype, through to um, launch and scale and you know, rounds of investment and the like, we don't know. But the early stage is extremely positive that we're building community people that get it, are passionate about it, and even if these aren't their most successful ideas, it won't be there. It won't be the last ideas they come up with, and it won't be the last time that they connect with these same people to be able to get things done locally. So there's value in that alone. And we in our workshops, I mean, we realise that within the first five minutes is that these connections are really special. Yeah, really cool. Um, would you call yourself an entrepreneur at GHD? I probably wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur. Uh, I do support entrepreneurs. I am a champion for them. 
why I wouldn't necessarily brand myself that is that I'm probably not coming up with enough new solutions, new scalable solutions that need to be brought up through the corporate ecosystem. I'm probably not doing that enough. Taking new ideas to our senior management, I'm probably not doing that enough. Uh, I am very much working with entrepreneurs all the time and a lot of people have got great ideas that need you know, need to influence change. And again, our Smart Seeds program, that when we run that with our vacation students in Melbourne, so we've just had uh, their final pitch presentation at the end of their at the end of their vacation time, yeah, we've, we're looking to uncover those who have got the knack for seeing potential solutions and wanting to resource them and, and, and bring them up through the system. So, yeah, I, I would say I'm a supporter of, enabler of, enabler is a little bit of <laughs> a funny term, but yeah, uh, probably not an active entrepreneur, if you like. Mm. No, good answer. I mean, I definitely agree with that. You were a good support to me when, when I was at GHD and we met last year. Um, I suppose on that, I'm still really fascinated by this topic of entrepreneurship, having spoken with your boss, Jason, as well. Mm. But um, I'm going to put you a bit on the spot here, but what sort of th- three bits of advice would you give, to not necessarily someone at GHD, but another big corporate organisation? Yeah. Three bits of advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur? Like, what are the three key things that an entrepreneur needs to know, needs to do, um, needs to approach, like if they've got really wild ideas, how do they sort of you know, get them implemented internally or how do they drive change from within? I would encourage entrepreneurs to know their problems they're solving. So the corporate immune system is pretty strong, kicks in really early. And so coming up with new ideas is really great. Uh, but you don't want them shut down too early. And so a good way to protect them is to f- stay in the problem-solving mode. People in corporate systems are great at solving problems, identifying problems, looking at problems differently. And so if you can do your research and engage people around problems and you get keep them engaged enough and you shape your ideas and solutions around them, that can usually build a movement in itself. So keep the powder dry on your ideas. Don't pitch them you know, left, right and centre because that that can be limiting, I think. Stay in the problem, research and build a community around people who want to see a solution to these problems and then choose your moment to to hit them between the eyes with your, with your really well-researched idea. Uh, so that's one. And then certainly find others that are doing similar things and surround yourself with people who get it and are coming across similar um, challenges in terms of mobilizing a new idea and getting support for it. So sometimes they're hidden under the floorboards of these people and it takes a little bit of digging around to actually find the people who are creating the change. Uh, so, but once you find them, yeah, you can, you will be far more resilient together than alone. Uh, and find some sponsors, you know, some senior people who want to see the change and uh, that maybe aren't in a position to shake up the corporate structure themselves but would love to see someone else give it a crack. Find them and find ways of honouring them 
because that would be very helpful, particularly in providing opportunities to hit people between the eyes with your ideas. But, but also protection. Uh, when things, you know, things, new ideas, they're not always going to be, it's not going to be smooth sailing. So you'll need, you'll need people to protect you along the way. So you can try and try new things and learning, yeah, learning by doing. Mm. Wise words, <laughs> last wise words. Um, uh, actually, this came came out of a another podcast I did with a lovely Indonesian fellow, but he's he's a big believer of that we use like entrepreneurship or intrapreneurship term. We sort of overuse it in terms of that it the ship refers to a process. Um, and he sort of prefers to use the word about like entrepreneurism or entrepreneurism mm. more as a culture and a mindset. Yep. I'd love to hear your thoughts kind of on that. Um, do you think, are we sort of missing the mark a bit by using entrepreneurship and is it, I mean, we're sort of going for the culture and the mindset. Yeah. It's probably semantics. Like if we really want to dissect it, that's probably a really good observation. I probably haven't. Know, distinguish between it all I think it's all really important those with the mindset and the capabilities probably do need a process a lot of people uh, need assistance to get from A to B they can see the end but they can't figure out how to mobilize and bring people along with them so processes and methodologies and the like can be really really helpful so the entrepreneurship people with mindsets and capabilities and you know the division really helpful but likewise you can't have entrepreneurship without you know you can't just pick up a book and learn about double diamond of design thinking or lean and startup techniques and the like without actually having the other elements as well mm. yeah you, you, it needs to be all living and breathing I think yeah cool so the inspiration for this podcast um, came out of a, a group I'm part of back in Perth called Enkel, and we had the conversation around, there's all this talk these days around smart cities and the role that digital technologies mm. plays. I know GHD as an engineering firm is right into sort of the smart cities movement and I see a lot of language being used um, with government in Melbourne and I guess Melbourne is maybe perhaps in Australia is leading the way to be Perth's sort of first true, truly smart city. But on the nature of this podcast, we asked the question of what if we sort of leveled up from that and this sort of concept of brilliant cities emerged. So I guess with all that being said, what's Melbourne missing to make it a brilliant city? What would you, what one thing would you do or add um, to make Melbourne a brilliant city? And that's a pretty sort of open, open-ended question uh, up, up to your sort of interpretation. Yeah, well, brilliant. I mean, I use that word far too often this is kind of it's a great it's my answer to most suggestions from people brilliant <laughs> <laughs> um, so in that sense even the most mundane cities in my books could be branded brilliant <laughs> um, uh, but I know what you're saying lifting the vision above what we're shooting for in terms of smart I think with smart cities and we and this isn't this is moving a lot has started with technology solutions i think 
people's imaginations have been sparked with, by what technology can do. And so a lot of people are starting their journey by saying, well, we've got the Internet of Things and sensors and databases. Surely our cities could be transformed by this technology. And then as I think we've become mature in our view, yes, we've been inspired by what technology can do, we've brought that back to what people need, I think. And we're starting to realise that before we talk about solutions and, and transformation, we really need to deeply understand people and, and the changing, changing needs and expectations of people who frequent cities or reside in cities. So I think a smart city is able to anticipate people's needs and be able to adapt to them, to continually be able to meet people's needs and expectations over periods of time. So I think that would be really smart. If you knew what people would expect tomorrow and you could meet it, that's a pretty smart city. Even if people are running late or even if people uh, uh, are going to come out of the woodwork tomorrow because it's a sunny day and you know the trains are going to be packed or you know because there's three events across the city and all of a sudden we're going to have congestion. If the city knows or the city knows or can anticipate through you know, those smart, smart devices and, and ways of aggregating data and stuff. That's, and acting on that and making decisions, that's really good. What would make it brilliant? If it could foresee where we're going wrong. I think there's some, there's, um, indicators that we're doing things right that are misleading. A brilliant city would be able to say this is not sustainable, that this might be good tomorrow and the next day, and it could be awesome you know, for, the, I know, this year's financial year reporting, but over the next 10, 20 years, this is not, this is not going to be good. So maybe that's it. A brilliant city would be able to foresee that kind of, would be able to overcome the short-term drivers to be able to deliver long-term sustainable outcomes. Brilliant answer. <laughs> it was always going to be, you know? Everything's brilliant. So, is, is there anything else you want to chat about? Oh, look, I could... Yeah, talking to you, Dylan, I mean, the chats are very... Um, are always sprawling and find themselves in an interesting places, so... <laughs> There's no, no shortage. Um, should I turn the tables? Should I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. Why not? Very good. So, stepping out from your experience, you've, you've, we've worked in the same organisation up until very recently. We were in the same organisation about other sides of the Australian continent, west, western side versus eastern side. So, Having left, what are the advantages of having, I guess, a new freedom to operate under, I guess, with new people, new brands, new ways of partnering, um, and what, so that's in one side, and, and what are the things maybe that you now realise you miss? Yeah, 
about the corporate corporate ecosystem? Yeah, Jay's good question. I love being thrown on the spot. <laughs> um, well, I've got to think about that for a sec. Yeah, I think for me, it's really the the first thing that that bubbles up for me is this notion of time, and to create the time um, to be able to, and also the the freedom to think. Um, and now I'm sort of in a space now, and at times it's, it's been a bit of a problem because I've got sort of no one to keep me accountable if I'm sort of answering, jumping across, answering both those aspects of the question. But yeah, so now I'm working, I went from sort of working in a corporate office to now working in a co-working space. And I've actually, I prefer to call them like co-learning spaces because I sit there and you know, I'm writing a proposal and I'm using a free bit of software, Canva, and um, I get stuck with something and I just stand up and go talk to someone who's an expert in it or I've got a tax problem and I go talk to a more established startup um, that's dealt with it before using similar software. And I'm, so I'm always learning, um, but I've got that freedom. And even even though we're not, like I, I work by myself at the moment because my co-founder Andy still works another job. Um, but I'll even, I've noticed the way I work differently. So I'll, I'll just go grab a room and I'll just brainstorm ideas or I'll sketch and draw things out. And it's really kind of just opened up my mind a bit if that sounds a bit bit weird but um, like I'm writing more and I've really got the time we're in a sort of interesting position but we haven't actually got a lot of paid work yet um, but there's definitely that and, and just the learning I've learned all these cool new tools like different ways to communicate because we just go and grab all of the most like latest trending most useful tools like Slack to communicate even tools like Lumio to make decisions yeah, get free all the free tools that we can get them, you know, before we have to go and buy like Microsoft suites and Adobe Creative suites and all this sort of stuff. But yeah, what I miss is definitely it was really hard for me to leave GHD because of all the relationship relationships I, I built up. You you were one of them. Um, a lot of good relationships in the WA office. But um, on the flip side of that, I still have. Like there's an, an ergonomist, um, her name's Carly in Perth, and she's sort of a bit like the entrepreneur that's coming up behind me. And so she, like she, I had a coffee with her the other day, and she, she said I've been a really great mentor, and it sort of just caught me, caught me back. And she's a, she's older than me, but I'm just sharing my experience and you know passing on the ten commandments yeah. <laughs> and things like that that you shared with me. So that's been pretty special. But I definitely miss the like working in a big office with so many employees, you know, the events, um, the relationships, the mentorship, that sort of all just got cut off, I guess. I share the Ten Commandments of Entrepreneurship with different people that I think would, would benefit. I mean, I thought you were already living by the Ten, so I thought just sending them to you, you'd be able to identify with just about everyone. Um, but I also shared them with the vacation students that were coming through uh, GHD in Victoria there's a cohort of about 30 um, 30 or 40 really and they were part of our Smart Seeds program and I think I sometimes need to check myself on realising that not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur even before they've started their career that it is particularly an entrepreneur and um because people don't want to get fired from their job. Yeah, I mean the Ten <laughs> Commandments that 
We're going to have to share them as part of this podcast. Maybe. Yeah, it's uh, Gifford. Um, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to share them. I mean, the Godfather. I can't quite remember the the researcher's name, but the Godfather of entrepreneurship, the person who you know, coined the term as yeah, these, the Ten Commandments, are pretty testing, I think, of anyone's metal. If you think you see yourself as a corporate change maker or a, a change maker within large organisations, so I definitely thought you had the medal, um, and it also reminded me when sharing them with this kind of uh, new cohort of potential you know, new starters with GHD that it takes a very special breed of person, or it's a rare species that fully embraces what it is to be an entrepreneur and I mean I don't even exercise my inner entrepreneur every day because you, you might not last long you might burn yourself out you may get frustrated you might spin yourself out and you have to do something different because there are limitations I think and I've seen plenty of great young entrepreneurs pursue entrepreneurship because of the greater freedom it has um, so yeah and I support them too and I'm absolutely inspired by those who do that go that go that way yeah I still think that's pretty cool though to sort of set the culture or the permission at day one of a new job and I, I can still remember my day one as an intern coming in and um, just to sort of see something like that would be at least the option was there you know if yeah. you want to sort of think crazy and have wild ideas you, you've got that permission as long as you couch it that this is not necessarily for everyone right now or you might enter, time, enter stages of your career where you want to explore your inner entrepreneur or entrepreneur yeah that's okay but if you lay it on as an expectation I think you'll I think you'll um, people that will make people pretty anxious. It's not innate to everyone. Alrighty, we're going to wrap it up with one last question. Where will Miles Coker, the social innovator, strategic designer, mentor of entrepreneurs, where's he going to be in five years? We don't know. Uh, we have really enjoyed living and working in regional Australia. We've got a little baby girl, seven months old, we're living and renting in Melbourne at the moment and enjoying it. We've got a family nearby. But even these trips out to northeastern Victoria are little, little missions to go find out how other people are living and what other environments you can, you can explore. So five years, that is it. That's, that's tough. Some of that five years won't be in Melbourne. It'll, it'll be exploring other places. Beyond that, I'm not really sure. Very cool. And can we expect you visiting Perth anytime soon? Yes, you can. Absolutely. I'm a, an avid West Coast Eagles football fan, so I have a, I have strong alliances in WA, and I'm not sure if I'll get to any football this year, but facilitate some workshops through Smart Seeds, definitely, in the coming month or two. Fantastic. So I'll be there. Yeah, we look forward to catching up with you again then. Thanks for your time, Miles. Thank you.
but following the chat with Miles, I just want to share with you guys, uh, we mentioned the 10 commandments of an entrepreneur. And so here they are. Number one, come to work each day willing to be fired. Number two, circumvent any orders aimed at stopping your dream. Number three, do any job needed to make your project work regardless of your job description. Number four, find people to help you. Number five, follow your intuition about the people you choose and work only with the best. Number six, work underground as long as you can. Publicity triggers the corporate immune system. Number seven, never bet on a race unless you are running in it. Number eight, remember, it is easier to ask for forgiveness than for permission. Number nine, be true to your goals, but be realistic about the ways to achieve them. And number 10, always honor your sponsors. So that's it for another week, Holons. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Miles. Uh, next week, I'm not going to tell you who the guest is. It's going to be a bit of a surprise, so you'll have to wait and find out. 